There's a little white church in the valley That stands in my memory stay And it seems I can hear the bells are ringing Though I'm many miles away And many times in church on Sunday morning The whole countryside would gather there They would all kneel down by the altar As they lifted up their voice in prayer Oh, the church in the valley Oh, that little white church Is the place that I love so well Now I'm sad and lonely Yes, I'm sad and lonely For that little white church in the day sermon series recorded Sunday, February 1st, 2009 at Hebron Presbyterian Church, Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Sermon by Dr. George Love. Starting three weeks of stories from Scripture that have healing as a part of what goes on in the passage, so a healing theme over the next three weeks. First two weeks are from the Gospels, and we have lots of stories in the Gospels where Jesus is healing folks with, with various needs and various things that, that were, they aren't the whole people that, that God created them to be. And so they, Jesus comes into their life and heals them in one way or another. And we begin with one of those today. And then we're going to have an Old Testament passage which reminds us that God didn't start healing people in the New Testament or within the time of Christ, although Christ did a lot of that. Healing is something that's been around for, for some time. So we're going to be looking at healing today, talking about sort of where the healing begins, because healing is, it's easy to sort of think about healing as something that, that somebody who is sick might need. And so we think about those folks in a, in a different way and perhaps don't think of ourselves as being in need of healing. Or maybe we were one time but aren't now. And what I think the scripture pushes us towards understanding today is that we all are in need of healing. And healing begins in a place that is fundamental and is important for all of us. And then there are different kinds of healing. But healing is a central piece of what Christ does on behalf of every one of us. And this scripture today makes that clear. Next week we'll get into a little bit what God expects or why God heals, what the healing process enables us to do. And so there's a scripture passage next Sunday that really speaks to that. And then two weeks from now, we go back to the Old Testament for a passage that helps us to understand that in order for God's healing to actually take place in our our, our lives and to take root and to, to do the things that God intends, it requires trust from us. We have to believe that God will, will, will heal. And we have to believe that God, when God says to do things a particular way, that God anticipates us doing things that way. A couple of quick thoughts. One, in addition to, we, we were without power a very short time. So this is not a fishing for sympathy story because I know there are those who are still without power. But this is just a, we were without power for a short time. So we got to experience what that was like. For a somewhat longer time, the, we have, TV comes to us via the, the satellite dish, the, the direct TV. And so for 
a cup for about a day and a half after the power was back, we turned the TV on and it would say searching for satellite. And we kept hoping that it would find the satellite, you know, thinking that I don't know where it went and how our storm could have something to do with the satellite. So being completely dense um, and not listening to my children who knew what the problem was, I called DirecTV and, and said, you know, well, let's say our thing isn't working, and I explained to them what the weather circumstances was, and they said your dish is probably frozen, um, which it was. Apparently the, it can penetrate lots of things but not ice. So that inspired me to get an old pool ladder that we had and to climb the pool ladder and then with a, a mop, a handle, mop handle to, to beat on the dish. <laughs> I tested my theory out to see if the ice would come right off of things by beating on other things first, and it worked. So I, I climbed up, and <laughs> I could see the story in the paper, should I have fallen. Um, trying to make that one look something less than comical would have been hard, but... I tapped on it, and the ice came off, and I went back in, and nothing, so I thought, well, maybe they weren't right, but then I went back out and noticed that instead of two little receivers, there were actually three. I couldn't see one, so I tapped a little bit more and, and went back in and, and TV. The thing with the TV was that everything was there for it to work. The TV was there, the dish was there, the satellite was doing what it was supposed to do, but what the problem was that there was one additional piece that didn't need to be there, and it was causing everything else to, to not function. That ice was, was coating it in such a way that even though all the parts were there, it wouldn't do what it was supposed to do. It couldn't be whole because it was carrying too much. There was one extra thing. Similar example, today, as I mentioned, there is a football game, but very often on Super Sunday, the one thing that becomes overlooked is that there is a football game. Um, I think that it's possible they're already broadcasting um, but I know they start probably by the time we get out of church and go all day long with, with singers and, and special features and different spotlights on different things, all sorts of things coming from the Super Bowl. And there's a concert beforehand, and I, I know Bruce Springsteen's playing at halftime. I think there's some sort of show they're, 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 they're trying to have a special emphasis for after the thing goes off. But in the midst of all the hoopla of Super Bowl, there is indeed a football game. And on more than one occasion, I've heard players talking about it say it was almost too much. It was very difficult to focus on actually playing the game because you're so used to doing things in a particular way when you're playing the game that when there's all this extra stuff going on, it just it takes away from your focus and your concentration so that you're not able to do the things you would normally do to prepare as though you're going to play a game, and so sometimes these players have said it's not really till you get hit a few times and sometimes even into the second quarter before you really are saying, oh, yeah, that we have a game to play, and it's going to be like all the other games. We've got to do what we have to do in order to win the game. In both those instances, you have something there that, that is what is supposed to be there. In one instance, a dish and a TV that are supposed to work together to produce a picture, and in another, you're supposed to have a football game. But in both instances, you have something, in one case ice, in another case kind of a circus atmosphere that, that calls attention away from everything but football, that detract from that thing. Where that gets us towards healing is this. Healing, as it's talked about in Scripture and as it's portrayed by the different gospel writers, and especially by the, the gospel writer in Mark, is about being made whole, that is, living the way God intends for us to live and being the people God intends for us to be. But sometimes that doesn't mean addition. 
Sometimes it's not a matter of adding things to the picture. Sometimes it's a matter of, of taking away things. So sometimes there, there are things that whatever version of it it would be are either are the spiritual ice or the spiritual circus that keep us from being what God intends for us to be. Jesus shows up this, in this passage in a place that, that is is not the place that you would expect to, to necessarily find somebody who, as the scripture describes, is demon-possessed. Um, the demon-possessed person might be out in the desert, or might be out in the village, but Jesus goes into a synagogue, and it's in the synagogue that he finds the person who's having the, the, that disconnection spiritually, and that, that demon possession that doesn't allow him to be the person spiritually that God intends. If God is to be at work in our lives, it requires us to be aware that no matter where we are, whether we're home, whether we're work, whether we are people who make a habit of being in worship, that we can still be people who have that extra coding settle in on our lives to where we get spiritually disconnected from God, which I think is a way of talking about being possessed of a demon, of having something that, that, that keeps you from what it is God intends you to be. Those things, whatever they are, become obstructions. And they have to be removed. And that's the process we see at work in this passage today from Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel has 18 different miracles depicted in it. Of those 18 miracles, 13 of them are healings. And of those 13 that are healings... Four of the healings are of this sort, of, of the sort where Jesus is casting a demon out, what we might think of as exorcism. I believe what that points us towards is the reality that when you have to look at where Mark puts this story, Mark puts this almost at the beginning of his gospel. So he gets, one thing about the gospel of Mark is that it never slows down. You're one place, and you're another place, and you're another place, and you keep moving. You're bouncing around from place to place. But Mark 1 is very much that way. So you have an announcement that this is the story of Jesus, the, the, the one who is the Son of God, and, and the bringing the kingdom of God. And right before this passage, this is only 21 verses into this, this book, but already you've had a story of Jesus being baptized by John, and you've had a story of Jesus going into the wilderness, and those two pieces that come before this are important to take all those one after the other. You have the story of Jesus in the wilderness. What did Jesus do in the wilderness? Jesus faces temptation. So that there are the, Mark does not go into elaborate detail. We have details in other gospels, but we know Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted after he was baptized. And those two pieces, take those together. The baptism is Jesus being claimed by God, being identified by God, and God's Spirit being sort of publicly bestowed upon Christ. So, so Christ, in that way, is possessed by God's Spirit. He then goes into the wilderness where there is an attempt to tempt him because he's going to go have this ministry that's going to, to provide all these opportunities to... to flaunt his power, to use it in ways that God didn't intend. And so he begins with this time of testing. And in the time of testing, he proves that the baptism is what it seemed to be, that he is indeed filled with the Spirit of God. And he turns back this spirit of this demon who, who confronts him when he confronts Satan in the wilderness. But then what you have is Jesus goes to the synagogue to teach. And 
In the synagogue, there is this man with an unclean spirit who, who stands and confronts Jesus. And what you get is an immediate application. What Mark is doing is saying, he's baptized, identified, sealed in the spirit. He's sent into the wilderness and tempted. And now he's back. And immediately we see why he was in the wilderness. Because it's not just about him and about Jesus being made whole. It's about us and us being made whole. And this first miracle of Jesus... It is important to notice that the first miracle that Mark depicts is one in which a demon is cast out. Now, the difficulty sometimes here is that we don't talk so much about demon possession in our modern times. And so I think maybe we think of demon possession in a way that maybe is not helpful to understanding what exactly is going on here. But Mark puts that first because I think he intends for us to identify in some way with that man. He wants us to understand that what Jesus is doing is for that individual, for that man, but it is for us as well, because what he is attempting to do is to connect us with God. And the way that Jesus connects us with God is to remove those things that serve as spiritual impediments, those things that get in the way. Jesus speaks, speaks to the man with the demon. He says, be silent, not to the man, but to the demon. Then he asks him to leave the man. And what's interesting here is that the demon does. You have to watch what happens in this passage because it's interesting. The demon recognizes Jesus. Demon acknowledges Jesus. Says, you are the one. You are the son of God. Knows who he is. And so there, there's that, that important information for us to know that we can recognize Jesus and know who he is. It doesn't mean that we're going to follow him. That's a second step. The demon knows Jesus, but has no intention of following him. But Jesus has power. Jesus says, be silent. And the demon must be silent. And Jesus says, come out. And the demon must come out. And as you listen to the folks here in this story, you might think what would impress the people who are watching this would be, wow, he healed a person with an unclean spirit. But what they're taken with is Jesus' authority. They say he teaches as one with authority. And then they compare him to, to folks like me. He talks about the, they talk about the rabbis in the temple who are there always, folks like me, here every Sunday morning, speaking, sometimes maybe effectively, sometimes not. But what they're noticing about Jesus is that Jesus does it with power. Jesus does it with authority. So that there's something different about Jesus and this connection that Jesus makes between this man and and removing this demon and seeing for us the importance of that. So that this is about our journey towards being made whole. This is about this man's journey towards having this demon cast out and a better spiritual life. But it is about our journey toward being made whole. God made us to be spiritual beings who are in relationship with him but the reality is that whatever unclean spirit was in that man the same sorts of things can find their way wandering into our lives and what i would encourage you to do is to to think of the ways that we have things enter our life what we could say if, if you thought about it you could say this is an unclean spirit that separates me from the right relationship with God that God intends to have. And very often when that question is asked, 
the things that come up are addictions. You know, those addictions that can find their way into our lives, whether it's drugs or alcohol or, or things that, that cause us to, to, our behavior to change. But I would push us beyond those things and say perhaps those things are, but those things can still maybe be distant to some of us. But I think most of us at one point or another have experienced fear. Most of us at one point or another have experienced disappointment. At some point in our lives, the majority of us have been angry about something. Now, the deal with with things like fear and disappointment and anger are that they can seem like, well, that happened for a while and I'm over it. But there are times when those things can come in and they stay and they stay and they stay until what you end up with is not a person who is experiencing anger, but an angry person. What you end up with is not a person who is experiencing disappointment, but a disappointed, broken person. What you end up with is not a person who is fearful in a moment, but a person who lives motivated, motivated primarily by fear. And in those instances, I think those qualities, those fear, disappointment, anger, you can list other things, they take on a demonic quality. They take over those people's personality so that they aren't the people that we knew and they aren't the people that God created them to be. And when those things happen to us, we know that we're not in that place. It's almost as though if you picture that, that ice forming around that satellite dish, you can feel those things covering us over so that sometimes disappointment can, can lay on top of us in such a way that you know what's there, but you're not quite sure how to, to lift it off and return to, to life the way that you want it to be and life the way that you know that God intended it to be. These things seem momentary, but then they set up shop and they get comfortable, and they stay, and they won't go. Again, what separates Jesus from everyone else is Jesus' authority. Jesus' ability to speak to these demons. And they recognize him, and they bow to his authority, and they respond, and when he says go, they go. The man who is possessed... I'm guessing, did not look like the way we maybe think of possession in terms of sometimes Hollywood movies have, have turned possession into this really dramatic, powerful thing that just, you know, whatever you look like, you've probably never looked like that. Uh, and those things may not be things that you ever do, but I think that possession is much more close and much more difficult to recognize until maybe it's gotten complete control of us. The question becomes, how will we respond to those moments? And how will we, will we understand the healing power that is available to us? Because again, I think this is why Mark puts this story first. He wants us to understand that the most important thing is that God wants us to be whole. God wants us to be the people God made us to be. And the way for that to happen is it begins not with physical health, not with mental health, but with our spiritual well-being with us being the people God created us to be spiritually. And then the other types of health flow out of that. But the the most fundamental piece is that spiritual well-being. And so Mark tells this story first. In looking over some, some people's reflections on this passage, I found one by a Presbyterian pastor who says one day prior to Christmas, 
um, one year. He had a person come into the office, um, not a church member, just a person who walked in off the street. And the secretary buzzed back and said, I got a person out here who wants to talk to you. And he said the first thing that he thought in his mind was somebody coming around this time of the day that wants to talk to me, probably looking for assistance of some sort or other. And so he prepared to, to talk with the person about their, their financial need. The person came in and, and sat down and, and didn't really have the, the look that the, person, that the pastor anticipated, but, but looked like could have been anybody from the congregation or just anybody you might meet at the grocery store. And, and the man introduced himself and sat down. Nothing seemed to miss with him, just seemed like he wanted to have a conversation. And once they'd gotten their names out of the way and gotten the introductions over with, the man said, I have a devil on my back, and I want you to bless me. They don't cover this at seminary. Uh, uh, we, we don't have the I've got a devil on my back class at seminary. That's one that... that is one of those practical things that probably is more helpful than, than much of what they do teach us. But he says, I didn't know what to do. And so I'm looking around trying to think of what should I do? How do what, what do I say? And he said in his mind, he's going through some of the Hollywood movies that he had seen and some of those things and wondering what exactly this, this young man was expecting of him. And what did he want him to do? What, what dramatic gesture did he want him to make? And so he talked for a while and tried to lower his expectations and, and told him that he really hadn't done this sort of thing before and he wasn't quite sure what to do and you know, what, maybe we could talk about it. And after listening, the man said to him, I just have this devil on my back and I want you to bless me. So it had come to it. So the man said what he did was they knelt down on the floor in the office and the pastor stumbled his way, his words, through a prayer of blessing, asking that whatever it was that this young man was carrying would be lifted from him, that he would be able to go on with his life in a way that was positive and helpful and in more positive relationship with God. And he says, I'm really not sure what I said, but when we finished, you could tell that something had been lifted from this young man. And they stood up, and nothing dramatic happened. No lights came on. No smoke drifted from the room. Just this sense that the young man was lighter. There was a lightness to his being that he didn't have when he came in. And it came through accessing that power, that authority that is there in Jesus Christ. What Mark is asking us to do by beginning with this healing story is to understand that Jesus' words have extraordinary power. Jesus' words did not have extraordinary power. Jesus' words have extraordinary power. And he speaks across time to all the folks who have ever encountered this scripture, and he speaks across time to us, so that we understand that there is this remarkable power there that waits for us. And also speaks to us, I believe, so that we understand that it is a remarkable power that we will find nowhere else but in Jesus Christ. And it is a remarkable power that that man in that synagogue needed that day. But it is a remarkable power which each one of us needs. So that our spiritual well-being will be what God intends. And we will have the wholeness of life that God intends. So the question for us as we kind of move forward 
and begin to consider what healing looks like is to ask, what would healing look like in my life this day? What would I look for so that I could ask God to be at work restoring me spiritually to what God intends for me to be and then asking for that from God understanding the power that we are asking for when we talk about this risen Christ who calls us together here today calls us to his table and asks us to believe that when he says to a demon be silent and come out that that demon will indeed be silent and come out Thanks be to God. Amen. You've been listening to Being Made Whole, part one in a three-part sermon series recorded Sunday, February 1st, 2009 at Hebron Presbyterian Church, Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Sermon by Dr. George Love. For more information on Hebron Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at hebronpc.net. Music for this podcast performed by the Oriskany Strings, distributed by podsafeaudio.com.